Eating fish is a major part of the history of fishing, and even to this day, most anglers will still eat at least a few of the fish they catch. But which fish do we eat? How do we transport them? How do we prepare them? How do we store them? That and more on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. I've got a confession to make, people. I like to eat fish. I make no apologies for it. I believe that eating fish and game should, uh, should be part of the angling and outdoor lifestyle in general. And I like to eat fish. It's just all there is to it. I will harvest and prepare them to the best of my ability. I will transport them uh, with care. I will do all of those things. But at the end of the day, I'm going to eat some fish. If you're a pure catch and release guy, Good on you. Knock yourself out. Let them all go. Hope you feel good about it. I, on the other hand, have no problem eating some fish. And for those of you that do like to eat fish, let's talk. First of all, which fish do we eat? Well, there's an old saying that the rancher doesn't eat the prize bull. And selective harvest is basically how I determine which fish I'm going to eat. If I'm dealing with something like a population of bluegills that are highly prolific, maybe white bass, something like that, I will harvest uh, however many I need of those for a meal within the bounds of my limit. If I have the ability to harvest more than I need for my meal, I'm not going to keep them. I'm not going to keep my limit just because it is my limit. And the reason being is I don't like to freeze fish. Frozen fish is never as good as fresh fish. And you're going to hear me say that a lot all the way through this, this whole podcast Fresh fish beats frozen fish every time. Having said that, if you can't eat fish right away, you need to freeze it. And we'll talk more about that here shortly. When it comes to trout in my home state, trout are basically a put and stock, put and take fish. They're stocked all over the state in reservoirs and, and lakes around uh, the Front Range and all over the state. Those fish are not going to reproduce, despite what you may see. You may see them even in places like North Park or the Laramie Plains Lakes. You may see them going through their motions on the bank. But I am assured by several different biologists over several different years that they will not reproduce successfully. They'll go through the motions. They'll look like they're gonna. No baby trout will come of it. Those fish are put and take fish. Now, that doesn't mean you want to take them when they're little. Maybe you want to grow them up till they're nice and fat and they're better to eat. Totally get it. But again, they're not going to reproduce. So you shouldn't feel bad about keeping a couple of stock or trout. Now, I'm not saying you need to go to a high cirque lake in Rocky Mountain National Park and keep cutthroats. That's going to be a bad bad juju right there, guys. So understand that the fish you catch it really comes back to where did they, how did they get there and will they reproduce while they're there. Same thing with walleyes in the state. The overwhelming majority of them are stocked. If they're in the perfect eating size range, say 12 to 16 or, or maybe uh, 14 to 18 inches, well then yeah, keep a couple of them. Again, you don't have to keep your limit every time you catch them. If you have enough for a meal, fantastic. I mean, if you're trying to save up for a fish fry or something, I totally get it. Put some of them in the freezer. Just understand they won't taste as good. For me, it's harvest what I can eat on that given day. But I'm not here to preach to you guys about selective harvest. If you're dealing with uh, the ethics of it, reach out to the biologists and ask them, can this lake sustain some harvest? Will this river take some harvest? Or is this going to be bad juju? They will clearly tell you. And in my experience, the overwhelming majority of the biologists will tell you, yes, go ahead and eat some of the fish. Maybe not the biggest fish, definitely not all the fish, but go ahead and eat a few fish. Keep in mind, if you are pregnant or may become pregnant, and I'm not a doctor and I don't even play one of those on TV, I just fish. 
But mercury is a real thing. Look into that, and you're going to find out that there's mercury in a lot of the lakes that you fish, and maybe a minimal number of, of fish meals per month would be uh, would behoove you on that one. Again, I'm not going to preach to you. Let's talk more about the actual process of harvesting a fish, okay? In a perfect scenario, I'm in my big ranger boat and I have a live well. And I'm going to take a walleye and he's perfect eating size, 18-inch walleye. Man, oh man, it's nice cold water. That's going to be delicious. I'm going to put him right in the live well, especially if the water that I'm in is cold for that species. So in a live well situation, the fish will stabilize from the fight and their blood chemistry will come back and they should theoretically do just fine in your live well. Keep it pumping. Uh, preferably your live well is cold. That's how I would prefer to keep fish alive or keep fish if I'm going to take them home. That's great, but not everybody has a big fancy boat. So if I can't keep them alive, then the next thing I'm going to do is immediately dispatch them and put them on ice. If I have any chance that I'm going to be out harvesting fish on purpose, there will be a cooler and it will have ice in it and it will be very close by for me because really... Just like in the case of a professional, that a professional fisherman, they're going to harvest that fish, put them on ice immediately. And the faster you can cool the flesh down, the better off it's going to be. I don't want to freeze it, but I want that fish to get very, very cold as soon as possible. So if I can't put them in the live well and keep them alive until later on, then I'm going to immediately dispatch them and put them on ice. I am not a fan of putting a fish on a stringer, and particularly if the water is warm. We've all had those classic stalker trout that are mushy and yucky. You caught them in 65, 68 degree water in a reservoir somewhere in Denver. You put him on a stringer. He flopped around till he died in shallow, warm water, which is even warmer than the water you probably caught him in. He, in the process, got all kinds of dirt in through the gills and that kind of thing. That is not going to be a good-eating fish. That fish would have been a lot better if you'd have gonked him on the noggin and split the isthmus to let the fish bleed out and put him on ice. What do I mean by split the isthmus or let the fish bleed out? The part of the fish that comes together at the point of the jaw underneath where the gills all come together on the bottom side of the fish is known as the isthmus. If you cut that and you completely detach the bottom of the gills from the jaw, I typically do that with a fillet knife. And in my case, I will carry a field bone. It's an outdoor edge knife. It's a folding fillet knife. I can stick it right in my pocket because it's a fillet knife that folds, so it's safe. Easy to put in my pocket. I will take that and I will literally slice the bottom of the gills out of the fish and disconnect it. That will allow that fish to bleed out in the span of about 10 seconds. And then you can put it directly on ice. If I've stored fish in a live well and I've been riding around in the boat all day and they're still alive, the last few minutes before I put the boat on the trailer, I will do the same thing. I'll pull those fish out. I will slice that isthmus all the way through, whether it be a walleye or a trout or a kokanee salmon or anything else slice that all the way through, leave the pump running on the live well so that they don't end up sitting in the live well with their own you know, fluids running all over, pump the water in and out of the live well. The fish will then, by the time you get the boat in the trailer, will have been bled out again straight to ice from there. Hopefully you have a cooler in your truck and ice from there. I can't harp on it enough how important it is to get the fish bled out and cold. If you don't bleed the fish out, it's not the end of the world. You're just going to have a messier fillet job. But if you want to have a beautiful, clean, white, you know, walleye fillet, bleed them out. If you want to have a really delicious white bass fillet, same thing. Bleed them out before they're dead. Cut that 
isthmus out, cut those gills out of the bottom, and that fish will bleed out, and you will have a beautiful white fish fillet. If you don't do that, let's say you got 15 white bass, and you're going to fillet them up for dinner. You and your buddy caught them. Okay, well, we're going to take those, fillet them, and put them right in ice water, like ice water combination. So not directly on ice and not in just water. I want a 50-50 mix of ice and water, which is colder than either ice or water. I will additionally add a little bit of salt to that water. Not a lot of salt, but a little bit of salt. I'm looking for somewhere around a 25 to 5% salt solution. The reason I'm going to do that with those fillets is that Freeze them cold water will cool them down. That salt will help them firm up as well, particularly if they came out of water that is warm, which is why I use the white bass for my example on this one. Bluegills, crappies would be the same way. Warm water walleyes or sawgays would be the same way. Uh, that chilled, that very cold iced water with salt in it will do a great job of firming up the fillets, uh, cleaning up the fillets, and is a great thing to throw them straight in as you're taking these fillets off of the fish. After they soak in there, so once I've dealt with my fish carcasses, I've filleted them off. Um, I will then take those, leave them in that iced water for a few minutes and let them firm up, like I said, maybe up to 10, 15 minutes and then rinse them clean, rinse them with fresh, clean, cold water, and then go ahead and go from there, whatever I'm going to do, store them or cook them or whatever I'm going to do after that. But that's how I like to handle the fillets coming straight off of the fish. Same thing with a whole trout. If I'm going to keep whole trout, which is commonly how I will keep any trout under about, oh, 15 inches, I'll leave them whole most of the time. Same thing. I'll cut the gills out uh, immediately as soon as, as soon as I can. I'll go from there. I, in most cases, I'll go ahead and, and dehead the fish. I'm not a huge fan of cooking them with the head on. I've had too many guests at my house freak out when the eyeballs looking at them. So I take the head off of them, give them a good rub down under running water, uh, take all the entrails out. Um, there's a really slick uh, knife that Outdoor Edge makes for that. It's called a razor fin. It's got basically what amounts to a gut hook. If you're a big game hunter, you've seen these. It's a little hook that's sharpened on the inside. It works perfect for going right in the vent of a trout and then slicing them all the way up to the head or to that same isthmus we're talking about and splitting the belly wide open all in one shot without cutting the guts. It's also very safe. I'll point that out because trout are slippery to hold on to. Pull all the guts out, clean the, the bloodline along the, along the spine of the fish, use your thumb and some running water, and then again, straight into ice-cold uh, mix of ice and water with a bit of salt in it. Let them finish up in there for a little bit and then go on to your next step from there. That's how I for sure would like to transport fish over any time as well. If I, Let's say I've got a two-hour drive home from the lake. If at all possible, they're going to go in salted ice water for the first few minutes after I fillet them. Then I'll, I'll go ahead and bag them, put them on ice. You don't want them soaking in water for too long. I'll go ahead and bag them in a, in a zip-top bag, put them right on ice till I can get them home. Usually I'll put a paper towel or something in there to help pull excess moisture out as well. When I get home, I'll deal with them from there. Um, in my experience with trout, if you're going to fillet trout, um, same basic thing all the way across the board. No real difference there. Uh, it's going to work pretty much the same system no matter what. Let's talk a little bit, take a half a step back and talk about actually filleting fish or processing fish. And I've already alluded to a couple different knives and they, and they have different advantages to them. You know, we're all familiar with a very standard fillet knife. It's a relatively soft blade. It's a long blade. It's a very thin blade, pointy on the end. Um, you know, like a, a real flex fillet knife. If you're not familiar with one, go look it up. Google real flex fillet knife. You'll find one. It's a very classic fillet knife, easy to sharpen. It's a soft, soft metal. It's easy to sharpen. 
um, very, very sharp and very flexible. That allows you to fillet fish very well. These days, I've re I've done a lot of my filleting with that same razor fin I was just referencing a minute ago, which has a, raise, a, a replaceable razor blade. So big game hunters will be very familiar with the replaceable blade knives. They've been all the rage for a while. Um, you push a button, the blade comes off. They're disposable. They are, for the record, sharpenable as well. But then you just plop a new blade into the knife. It is now razor sharp, like scalpel sharp. So if you want to do a really clean job and make really clean fillets, the sharper your knife is, the better it's going to be. And so those replaceable blades like the razor fin have really jumped to the forefront for me if I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of fish. Again, if I'm just going to be maybe on a, on a river somewhere, I don't want to carry a bunch of stuff, um, maybe I'm camping, something like that, I'll go with a traditional uh, or, or the non-traditional, but with a folding, the field bone knife, that knife is very good because it's very safe. It's a basic fillet knife, only it folds, and therefore it's very, very handy to have around for camping trips, things like that. Um, and I'll use that knife. But when it comes to filleting fish for me, if the fish particularly has been bled out, as I talked about earlier, I like to start at the top of the back and work my way down. I don't like to fight the rib bones on anything like a walleye or a saw guy or a white bass or a wiper, anything like that. If it's a trout, I'll slice it right through all the rib bones and everything. Trout have much smaller bones. I'll slice all the way through and then trim the rib meat off. With, the, with a walleye or a wiper white bass, I'll go down from the back and I'll follow the rib cage around on the outside of the rib cage, and that's where that really sharp razor fin comes into play to help with, with that situation there. Walleyes, always I like to salvage the cheek. If the fish is somewhere 16 to 20 inches, there's a little small, maybe quarter-sized piece of meat right on the cheek. A lot of people say that's a delicacy. I don't know that it's any better than any other part of the walleye, but it's certainly edible and there's no point in not keeping it. When it comes to carcasses, if I'm at my house and I have the opportunity to do so, I will always take the fish carcasses minus the entrails. I will submerge them in cold water in a big giant stock pot and I will cook them down and I will make fish stock with it. And I might add a little bit of celery or carrot or some other things to it, just depending on how ambitious I want to get. But if you take fish, the head, the spine, the skin, all of that, cool, bring it to a bare simmer and let it cook until it reduces all the way down and the, the bones are just falling apart, strain all that out, uh, reduce it down some more, you have a very good fish stock, which is good for any sort of a soup or chowder or, or a sauce you might be making. Uh, very, very good. I hate to waste any part of a fish. That's, a, that's an excellent way to use it. The other way, and this sounds gross, but if you happen to have a dog putting carcasses in a blender, a purpose set-aside blender, put the carcass in the blender, blend it up into a paste, and a little dollop of that on your dog's food is fantastic for his coat. They will love it. And my Labrador, you can take walleye skin and just straight freeze that skin. I'll throw it in the oven for about two minutes and then freeze it. And he loves that skin as little snacks. And again, it's very good for him. So uh, other ways to keep from wasting any of your fish right there. The skin, the bones, the head, all of that is excellent for making stock. Uh, all right, so we've filleted our fish. We talked about how we're gonna make those fillets firm and clean by the salted iced water. How do we go about cooking them? Uh, for me, it depends on the fish. The fresher the fish is, the more lightly I'm going to go with any sort of seasoning or rowdy preparation on that fish. I, 
a, a good fresh walleye fillet is not something I'm going to go blacken or is not something I'm going to, you know, put a ton of flavor. I'm not going to use it in a soup or a stew. I'm not going to do anything like that with it because it's going to be a very delicate, delicious piece of fish like it is. It really doesn't need anything other to make it very tasty, uh, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, a little bit of acidity of some sort, a little squeeze of, of lemon juice, and and throw it in a, in a skillet. Absolutely delicious. Maybe a touch of paprika if you're really, you know, feeling crazy. Absolutely delicious that way. You do the same thing. Stick it under the broiler for a couple of minutes, just a couple of minutes. The biggest thing is do not overcook fish. If soon as it starts to flake, and I mean as soon as you can flake it with a fork, pull it because it will continue to cook. It's like eggs in that regard. If you leave it in a hot pan, it will continue to cook. If And so you need to pull it out of the oven, out of the pan, whatever it happens to be in. Uh, keep in mind, fish can be served at room temperature and it's still delicious or very close to room temperature. So you're better off pulling it out of the oven and letting it rest than you are to let it overcook at all. So you don't want to overcook fish. The worst thing you can do to fish is overcook it. And to be honest with you, my favorite fish is sushi, but that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother deal because we should not be eating sushi out of fresh water. So fresh walleyes, fresh bluegills, crappies, white bass, anything like that, uh, I would like to go as simple as possible. Uh, if, I'm gonna, if I'm going to fry them, I'll probably do it with a very simple tempura type batter. If I've got to have a classic fish fry and I've been catching fish and storing them in the freezer for two weeks so that my family gets here and we're going to have a whole bunch of people and we're going to eat a bunch of fish. Fantastic. Love that idea. But the fish has been frozen. In that case, I will most commonly put a little bit more flavor into my batter of my fish or my breading or whatever it is I'm going to fry it in or however I'm going to cook it in general. I will add more and more flavors too. The longer the fish has been frozen, the less quality you're going to get out of it and the more chance that you're going to have a better result by adding more flavor to the fish. So in other words, more acidity, more salty, more herbs, whatever the case might be, that's what you want to do with it if it's been frozen for a long time. But you're very fresh, the freshest, freshest fillets you have right off the walleye. Man, the less you do to it, the better. I'll tell you a really good trick. Brush it with a little, take your walleye fillet right off the fish, best one you got. You chilled it down like we talked about. You, you, you patted it totally dry. It's ready to go. Brush it with a little bit of mayonnaise, and I mean just a thin coat of mayonnaise. Hit it with salt and pepper, a little bit of paprika. Throw that thing on the grill. Uh, the mayonnaise will keep it from sticking. It will add an excellent flavor to it as well. Uh, flip it over as soon as it's less than halfway cooked. Let it finish on that side. As soon as you flip it, give it a squeeze of lemon juice. And I mean just a light little squeeze of lemon juice and eat it. I'm telling you guys, it's one of the absolute most delicious things you're ever going to eat when it comes to fresh fish to do it that way. And it's extremely simple. Uh, if, say, that same walleye, if I'm going to fry it, I'm going to fry it in something like a tempura batter, tempura batter, very light, um, not going to do it with a lot of flavoring, like I said, and then I'm going to maybe do some sort of a light dipping sauce. The key is, again, to not over fry it. As soon as it floats, pull it, because I want that fish to be barely cooked. In an ideal situation, when the, when the, when the fish is fried correctly, the shell should be extremely crunchy. You should be able to crack it in half and literally the juice from the fish should run out. It should be holding juice inside the fish if you do it correctly. Incidentally, when you pull fish out of the fryer, put it on a rack 
a wire rack, not on paper towels or not on newspaper or anything like that that's going to hold that oil because as soon as that stuff holds the oil, then it's going to feed it back to the fish and make it, or back to the breading and make the breading mushy on whatever side you set it on. So for me, it needs to go right on a rack and the rack will let any excess oil drain out of it. And as with anything else you take out of the fryer, a little bit of salt right on it, right when it comes out of the fryer, when it's still screaming hot is going to be very important. I tend to fry fish right around 350 degrees most of the time the only key is that the sizes of your fillets be the same at least per batch that you are frying so if some of parts of your fillets are thicker and some are thinner which is totally understandable separate those cook the thick ones separately than the other ones so do a whole batch of thick ones and a whole batch of thin ones and and that way you get your consistent cook times down but again as soon as they float and they've got a good hard float, they're done. Pull them out and, uh, and set them on a rack, salt them, and let them, let them go about that ways. Um, let's talk a little bit, because this is a point of contention with guys with white bass, because I love fried white bass. And there's one way you can mess up fried white bass and, and striper or wiper or anything like that, and that is the quote-unquote red meat or the bloodline that occurs along the lateral line of the fish uh, it's dark red meat. The reason that meat is dark red is it contains more blood and more nutrients and uh, more oxygen. That will render, that dark flesh will render if it's going to be exposed to direct heat. So what do I mean by that? If I'm going to put it directly on a grill with no anything major on it other than maybe a little bit of oil or butter or the mayonnaise like I mentioned before, that meat will literally render off. So that little bit of red meat that's on there on a, on a white bass or a wiper will render if you expose it to direct heat. Same thing if I'm going to make, maybe I'll blacken that, okay? I'm going to hit it with a bunch of blackening seasoning, throw it straight in a skillet. Same thing. That direct heat will render that red meat off of it, and it therefore won't have that fishy taste that you associate with it. Conversely, if I take that red meat and I encase it in batter, uh, leave it on there and encase it in batter and fry it, well, I'm going to get a pungent bite of fishy flavor. If I cook that red meat into a chowder or a soup, again, I'm going to get a muddy flavor from the red meat, uh, not something you want. I don't like to waste meat, and I'm familiar with the fact that there's a lot of nutrients in there. So for me, my plan, if it's on there and I'm going to do anything else, I'll leave it unless I'm going to aforementioned uh, cases of encasement batter or submergent soup or something like that. Uh, since I mentioned soup, if you're going to make some sort of a soup or chowder, get that chowder 99.5% done before you add fish uh, to it. Same with shellfish in most cases. That stuff will cook extremely quickly, and the rest of your chowder or your soup needs time to build a flavor base and, and build its depth of flavor and, and for you to layer it on and da-da-da-da-da, all the good stuff that goes into making a, a chowder or a soup. When all of that's built, when your chowder is almost done, everything's ready to go, the potatoes are done, everything's looking good, then my chunks of fish are going to go in there, and I'm going to leave them in there just long enough till I can break one of them with a fork or a spoon, and then I'm going to pull my chowder and it's done. The same thing with any sort of a soup. As soon as you can break those pieces of fish apart, they're done. And it's obviously going to take a lot longer for the potatoes and everything else in there to cook. So you don't want to add the fish until the very end. Now, to build the flavor base, 
hopefully you reserved the carcasses and you made fish stock. But if not, you can buy fish stock, you can buy clam juice, you can buy shrimp stock, you can buy seafood stock, you can make your own stock from shrimp shells or crab shells or lobster shells or anything like that very easily, and that will build the depth of flavor that you want to have in that chowder. So maybe I'm going to put make walleye chowder. Okay, I'm going to make fish chowder with walleye. Well, I'm going to, I've got some walleyes. I filleted them. I took those carcasses, and I simmered them in water, as we talked about, just put them in cold water, brought it up to a bare simmer, cooked the water all the way down, strained it out. Now I've got that stock. That stock, along with cream and milk and whatever, will will be what I'll use for my base. And then I will add back the walleye at the end, the actual fillets at the end of the cooking process, to put them in there. That way it tastes the depth of flavor is there. It tastes like seafood chowder all the way through, even though the fish was added at the very, very end. Really important. And just for the record, with that case, that would have been frozen walleye. I would have made that stock ahead of time and froze it. I would have also froze my fillets ahead of time, and then I would have made chowder later. If I had a fresh walleye, I wouldn't make chowder with it. I'd do something more classic and more delicious. Speaking of freezing... If I am going to freeze fish, in my opinion, the best way to do it is to freeze it in water. Um, So I will put a tiny, tiny bit of salt in the water. I want the fillets chilled all the way down. So in other words, take your fillets. They've already been in the ice water we talked about. Um, You rinsed them off. You patted them dry. You put them in a single layer in the fridge and let them cool all the way down and make sure they're as cold as they can be. The water you're going to freeze them in needs to be as cold as it can be as well because if you don't freeze them quickly, they will absorb water and get mushy. So if I'm going to freeze fish for a, for a future use, I will chill the water, I'll chill the fillets, then I will put the fillets in the water, seal up the bag, and get it in the coldest part of the freezer as fast as I can possibly do it uh, and get them to freeze as hard and as quickly as they can. That will help you a lot. If you have a vacuum sealer, that's even better, a vacuum bagger, because the enemy of of fish is, same with anything else in the freezer, is freezer burn. Freezer burn is an evaporative loss uh, of moisture from the fish. If you encase it in water, you won't have that. If you're going to put it in a vacuum bag, again, you don't have the evaporation. The key is to suck all the air out of it with the vacuum and make sure that you get a good seal on the bag. A small bit of moisture absorber in there, uh, like paper towel, will help with that as well, um, that you go ahead and, and suck in the bag with it. But, um, but at the end of the day, a freezer bag like that or a freezer situation, a vacuum bagger is a fantastic way to keep fish. If I want to freeze them for individual portion use later, which is typically how I'm going to do it, I will freeze them in smaller batches. Uh, Or I will even individually freeze the fillets in ice in small containers and then take those ice containers, put them in one bigger container, and again try to contain evaporative losses. In no case is fish in my freezer more than about six months for any reason at all. And if I do get fish that freezer burns that I deem to be inedible uh, as far as eating it straight, I will add it to fish stock that I'm making and cook the flavor out of it that way, and it works fine for that. I don't let it ever go to waste. So that's important. A couple of quick trips for whole trout, because in my opinion, whole trout are delicious. A lot of you don't like whole trout. I fully get it. If I've got stocker trout, uh, trout that's been in the lake not long enough. In other words, not long enough to 
to feed on normal stuff and get the, the flavor of Purina trout chow out of his system. So if it's still got hatchery look looking marks on the fins and stuff like that, it's not going to be a very tasty fish no matter where it came from. Once it's been in the lake a year and eating a normal diet, well, then all bets are off. But if I'm going to cook stalker trout and they're still close to stalker size typically i will behead them i will cut the entrails out of them split in the belly like we talked about with the razor fin uh and then again i'll soak them like we talked about in in the salted ice water to get them going um while i'm working on my brine but typically i will give them an actual brine in that situation so there i want a solid five percent solution maybe with a little bit of acidity or white wine or other things in it and I'll soak them in that for maybe four hours. Uh, most likely, I'll probably score the skin as well, like do a score that goes halfway through the flesh on each side, perpendicular to the spinal cord of the fish, to allow that brine to really soak into the fish. And that way, the flavor of stalker trout kind of goes away, and you end up with really delicious fish. Then I'll go from there and cook them whole. The reason I like to cook trout whole is they have a lot of body fat to them. And that fat will is under the skin. And if I can cook them whole and render that fat into the flesh, A, I've got a more nutritious fish, and B, I've got a very tasty fish as well. So whole trout are one of my absolute favorites from that standpoint. Um, if I'm going to cook them whole, a lot of the time I will either put them in a roasting pan or something I can cover them in. I will add some sort of liquid and some sort of acidity. So white wine is a good call because it's liquid and acidic. Uh, a little bit of fat as well, butter or oil, something like that. Um, and typically some onions or something to add a little bit of a flavor base to them. Sometimes I'll stuff the cavity of the fish, which can be really good. Something like orzo and spinach. So par cook some orzo uh, and spinach, stuff it in the cavity with some lemon wedges, uh, seal the whole trout up in foil and throw it on the grill. Fantastic that way. Put a little spritz of little white wine inside that foil. Absolutely fantastic way to cook trout. Uh, one of my favorites, and this is a good camping hack, and I like this one a lot. Take foil with you to go camping. If you're going to go someplace where it's got brookies especially, and, and you may be familiar with, you can keep a lot of brookies as long as they're little. Brookie, brook trout tend to overpopulate quickly in the state of Colorado. They have very liberal harvest regulations because of it. They're one of the best fish you can eat because of it because they're also highly competitive against cutthroats and everybody else. And if you end up with too many brookies, you end up with a lot of baby fish, and we don't want that. We want to have a balanced population of fish. So eat a bunch of 10 or 12-inch brookies. They're delicious. Split them, behead them. You're not going. You're camping. We're t we're talking about camping here, so you're not going to be able to have all the ice and all the other wonderful things we're going to do with that. I'll carry aluminum foil, and I will carry some of those little butter packets like you find at Kentucky Fried Chicken or some place fast food place like that. Okay, they're not butter. I get it. It's not actually butter any more than margarine is actually butter. But they're easy for you to pack in your backpack along with a little bit of foil. And you'd be surprised with a salt packet, you know, fast food style salt packet, uh, pepper packet, a couple squeezes of those, of those butter packets, and a piece of foil and a fresh brook trout will taste like on a campfire. Very, very simple. Behead the fish, get the entrails out. Uh, scrub them as best you can in running water uh, in the creek or wherever. Hit them with salt and pepper throughout all the all that you can. Squeeze that butter directly in the cavity. Roll it up tight in foil. Put it on your coals or above your coals or whatever. Again, open it, check it occasionally. Try not to overcook it. Absolutely delicious way to cook those little brick trout, and it's fantastic while you're backpacking. No dishes either. Pack out your trash, people. Um, 
trying to think what else I should tell you guys when it comes to eating fish because I eat a lot of them and I like them a lot of different ways. I think my my favorite way of all to uh, eat fish is is probably blackened. Blackened fish, for whatever reason, is universal. It tastes good. Just for the record, I am a fan of blackened ribeyes and blackened venison steaks and blackened anything else because I like the flavor that, that blackening lends to fish. Same way we process filet all the way through. Uh, you know, the cold water, the ice water and the salt, blah, blah, blah. We rinsed them dry. We put them in the fridge. We let them get good and cold. Um, they're completely padded dry. I'm going to use clarified butter, and I'm going to brush that fish with clarified butter. If you want to use whole butter, that's fine. Melt the butter, brush the fish with the butter, not, don't put it in the pan. If you put the butter in the pan and the butter doesn't burn, your pan is nowhere near hot enough. This is where you need your cast iron skillet, and that thing needs to be hot. It can't be warm. It can't be kind of hot. It can't be hot like your mom used to do it hot. My mom used to call it a hot skillet. I love my mom, rest her soul. It was lukewarm at best and nothing actually browned. I'm talking about a pan needs to be screaming hot. And I like cast iron for that because it's got very good thermal momentum and it's it's very thermally stable and therefore cast iron skillet's perfect for blackening anything. Do this outside. Unless you have a restaurant quality range hood, not your microwave range hood, you need to do this outside. Do it on the grill, whatever you gotta do. Get that pan so hot that it almost starts to turn a lighter color and brush your fish directly, season it extremely liberally. In my experience, it's a lot of different blackening seasonings out there. Some of them are too salty. Check them ahead of time. It should not be salty. It should be spicy when you taste it before it's on the fish. Because when I sprinkle it liberally on the fish, on the clarified butter, which went straight down on the fish, and then straight into that screaming hot skillet, it should make a tremendous amount of smoke as soon as you do it, like a tremendous amount of smoke. That burning of those spices is going to make them um, sweeten up, so to speak, in the same way that grilling a jalapeno makes it less hot. It's going to soften the blow of the heat, and it's going to be almost crunchy on the outside. If it takes more than about a minute on each side, your pan was not hot enough. It should be very hot. And then a minute on one side, flip them over onto preferably a part of the pan that did not already have fish in it so that it's still hotter. Going to smoke a bunch on that side, pull the stuff off, squeeze a lemon on it. Absolutely delicious. Uh, Again, probably my absolute single favorite way to make fish because I can do that with my freshest fish, my oldest fish, or anywhere in between. You can do it with salmonids, you know, which are more red meat. You can do it with white meat like a like a walleye or a wiper. Uh, blackened fish is awesome. The, the, the biggest thing to it is your pan has to be very hot and you need to, to put the fat on the fish directly or just for the record, the ribeye steak or whatever else it is you might be blackening. That's my spiel, guys, eating fish. Um... If you have questions, fishfulthinker.com. Shoot us an email there. Would love that. If you go to our YouTube channel, there is lots of fish recipes, lots of cooking on there. I love, love, love to cook almost as much as I love to fish. Almost, not quite, but almost. And we have a lot of cooking videos up there. We'd love you guys to check those out. Give us a subscribe if you would. Uh, and of course, that Fishful Thinker on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can book a guide trip with us at fishfulthinker.com as well. So that's this week's podcast. Thanks for listening. Go eat some fish, and we hope we'll hear you next week.